Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Fully Automated, an Occupy IR Theory podcast. This episode comes to you on February 6th, 2020, uh, just six days after so-called Brexit Day. That is the day Britain legally departed from the European Union. In honor of this occasion, in this episode, we're going to be talking to another one of our returned guests, Owen Worth of the University of Limerick. Now, you may remember Owen from episode four, where we talked to him about the 2017 British general election and the surprising performance then of Jeremy Corbyn and the British Labour Party. In this episode, Owen is going to try to help us get our heads around not only some of the implications of Brexit itself, but more importantly, the implications of the 2019 election for the British left. The defeat of Corbyn is, of course, uh, looming large over the British Labour Party at the moment. So in our last episode, as you know, uh, we had Lee Jones of the Full Brexit blog on giving his take on the election. And Lee's views on the election were, of course, complex. But the basic idea, I think, is that he saw the election as effectively a second referendum on Brexit and an underlining in that sense of the desire of the British electorate to leave the European Union. And in this sense, Lee was taking many of his intellectual cues from scholars like Peter Mayer. Uh, in this sense, Lee saw the election as a kind of revenge of those who felt themselves to have been somewhat materially abandoned by mainstream liberal democracy. Owen, for his part, doesn't necessarily disagree with Lee on this point, but as you're going to hear him argue, he sees a somewhat longer history at work here, a longer history of the decline of the British Labour Party. And as we're going to discuss, this decline isn't necessarily straightforward or easy to understand. After all, the British Labour Party did extremely well in 2017, um, largely on the basis of a robust manifesto, a robust left-wing manifesto, and a commitment, above all, to honour the results of the Brexit referendum. So in this episode, Owen and I are going to debate this point a little bit, the extent, that is, to which the Labour Party's U-turn on leave was a decisive factor in the election. Listeners to this show won't be surprised to hear that I tend to agree more with Lee on this particular point, but in Owen's defense, he does present some very interesting figures on the low turnout among young voters. Now, leaving the immediate subject of the British election, uh, Owen's recent work uh, in some journals and also in his new book, Morbid Symptoms, is going to be a key focus of the second part of our show today. Uh, Owen has a new book, as I just mentioned, Morbid Symptoms, just out from Zed Books. And as you'll hear, uh, that... Uh, book is very much focused on the recent spike in popularity of far-right ideas. Owen argues that it's largely to do with the left's failure to mount a radical alternative to the prevailing order. So just before we get started with Owen, a quick plug. Uh, many American listeners may be feeling a little bit stressed out right now, I know I am, about recent shenanigans in Iowa. But look, uh, you can't spend your whole day reading about Bernie Sanders getting knifed in the chest 
by the DNC. So as a way of bringing a little diversity to your intellectual palette right now, we've got a special show lined up for next week. We're going to bring back uh, Colin Coulter to talk about uh, this weekend's upcoming elections in Ireland. Now, some of you may have heard that an ostensibly left-wing party, Sinn Féin, has been surging in the Irish polls, and to say that that is unusual would be something of an understatement. So we've got to check in with our resident expert on the Irish left, Colin Coulter, and see what's going there. So stay tuned for that. Right, uh, it's time to get stuck into our interview with Owen Worth here. I'll put some links in the show notes, uh, which will uh, allow you to find his book, his new book on Amazon, and also some of the data that he refers to from Lord Ashcroft polls, the blog uh, he cites, which gives you some information on how British voters use tactical voting in the last election. Okay, on with the show. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Right. Um... Well, how are you feeling about the election? Oh, uh, well, marvellous. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I was just remembering the, the, the last thing we did, which was just after the 2015. That's right. And, uh, yeah, the excitement, I suppose, and the um, um, uh, where we were working out where, what was happening from there. And I, was, it was, I suppose it was after that that I, was, I, I wrote that, well, the, the chapter, which came out this year, which was on, you know, populism of Sanders and left populism of Sanders and Corbyn. And then uh, this piece in Globalizations, which came out this year, uh, which was on um, Corbyn and, um, um, well, Corbyn and, and his ability or not ability to come out with some sort of alternative hegemonic strategy. Um so, um, or counter hegemonic strategy, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so it was. Um, it, it's really on the back of that that this is um, this this is quite interesting. I suppose my book as well. I, I use uh, just um, the last chapter of that. I sort of touch upon, you know, Corbynism as a sort of hegemonic challenge yeah. to uh, to the sort of uh, you know neoliberal status quo, whatever you want to call it, uh, as the right pulls away in another direction. So um, so it's interesting because there was a lot that Momentum did mm. uh, in terms of this, and certainly uh, looking back to 2017 uh, and the fact that they managed to neutralise the, the mainstream press, which has always been a big, the fourth estate has always been a big um, uh, weapon in the sort of arsenal of of of, of the centre right um, and the you know the right wing, shall we say, yeah. and certainly against as, as as an opponent of anything you know left of left of Tony Blair really, right. and they did that very well. They neutralised that very well. They 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 basically utilised social media very well, and they got a lot of the the youth vote out um, and did very well in the urban areas. And they started, I so they're very much were challenging norms uh, which were considered as as as, as pretty much um, untouchable and they were contesting you know assumptions general assumptions which we had already thought were being put to bed in the in the 1990s so words right. like neoliberalism are finally being discussed uh, across various groups so it did all these things but what it didn't do was 
really get any further. Um, and it's certainly, you know, the next stage, if you like, of a, of a hegemonic challenge, you, you've really got to, you know, go into the, to the grassroots of society. And um, the, um, the so-called, uh, what they call the Red Wall, but the sort of small towns, labour heartlands um, of, uh, you know, Northern England, Midlands, etc., um, basically, uh, new labour left them, and no one's really filled a void. No, no one's really come back, and I think that's where any analysis has got to start with. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think that's going to be uh, a major contentious uh, part of the debate. From here we are. I've even just Absolutely. assumed. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I always I, the best person I know on this, and, and maybe I'm biased. Sure, my uh, wonderful fiance uh, Sam, <laughs> because she's um, hi Sam. I, 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 she's not here with us, but I, I basically used to live in a constituency in sort of North Nottinghamshire, called, which is now known as well, it's called Sherwood. It's a Sherwood constituency, and, okay. and it basically incorporates a lot of and I, and I, you know, I finished school there, all this sort of stuff. And it basically, so, you know, all my mates are from there and they're sort of hovering around in various places. And um, she lives, she still lives there. And it basically um, houses a lot of the old mining towns uh, of North Nottinghamshire uh, and a few sort of posh villages and various other things. Uh, but generally speaking, it was always Labour. Uh, now, she has been a Labour activist for God knows how long, and not just a Labour activist, a community activist who's done you know, just about everything. And what she always used to say was, despite all these strides uh, made in various parts, various places, uh, in certainly these areas, uh, there was no sign of Labour activists, no sign of the Labour Party, no sign of anything. They just didn't want to know. And they left them. In uh, when when the mines shut down, when the working clubs shut down, where the welfare clubs shut down, where the community clubs shut down, the Labour Party was always part of that. Yeah. And when New Labour came along and they said, right, sorry, we're we're no longer uh, responsible for the working classes. We're a metropolitan party. There's a change in uh, economy. Blah de blah de blah de blah. Uh, they shut along with all the mines. They never really reopened. And what she has sort of constantly said is when she's working and when she was campaigning and this, that and the other, she would get no support. And when Momentum was doing all these wonderful things in the cities, nothing was going on in the towns. And I think that's a very important, um, um, well, you know, important development and something that... Um, shouldn't really uh, be forgotten about. And it's not so much that they've all voted Tory. Um, the main fact here is the younger generation just hasn't come out to vote. So it goes home. beyond Brexit and things like that. So, you know, you look at the um, the voting turnouts in those areas, those mm -hmm. old sort of you know, red wall areas, and they're, and they're tiny. And the people who vote are those who are over 65, over 60, and they were, um, you know, Labour voters. But this hasn't happened overnight. This has happened gradually. So if you take one of the biggest sort of mining areas, which was um, it was was anti-strike. It's the sort of town which was anti-strike. So it would have been seen as the sort of conservative, the more conservative side of, of the mine strike. But still, nevertheless, dying in the world, uh, Labour was Mansfield. You probably heard of. Uh, yes. 
And Mansfield went last time. Mansfield went in 2017, but already was going. It would have gone in 2015 if it wasn't for the the Brexit party. It was already looking um, bit by bit. And balls over. Obviously, Dennis Skinner lost his seat. Yeah, that yeah. went slowly. That's been going bit by bit every year since the end of end of Blair. And it's quite obvious here that the 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 turnout is still very low. And anyone under the age of 40 just doesn't vote. I mean, the turnout's tiny for people under the age of 40. Uh, because, uh, because, I mean, this goes back to Peter Mayer's, um, you know, stuff about uh, uh, the, the relevance of politics. There's just no, just no interest there. There's, okay, no, let's, there's nothing. I, maybe we can actually stay on that point just a minute. Because I actually I had uh, Lee Jones on. Like, he jumped straight in on the Peter Mayer point. Uh, people who know me know I'm like a hardcore booster of this book. So yeah. let's just stay with that a second. Yeah. Like, wh- what's the thesis? Like, what what function is Brexit or was Brexit supposed to fulfill um, in the face of the argument of that book? Uh, well, I can't remember when the book was written. It was it was obviously before um, it was obviously before Brexit. But I mean, um, I mean, in terms of Brexit, I think Brexit was something which 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 appeared, um, which which became very important to those areas in particular. Um, I don't think it entirely goes to explain what's 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 happened there, but it certainly. Um, it's certainly an important point, but Brexit it very much sort of took on this um, um, this uh, um, uh, metaphorical almost yeah. um, thing, I suppose, particularly in the, in in those areas of of, of self determination, and and in particular this belief that the urban areas are telling the you know these these areas what what they're doing and what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. Um, Are worse and, that they're did the it's urban it's areas telling the telling the rural areas that they're racist and, that and they're the so-called elites and but I, I, yeah. I mean that's one area but but the other the other factor is that um, so that's one part but um, I, I don't think you can explain the election result entirely just on um, just on Brexit. It, 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 it's something which. Some of the voters have clinged on to some of them. Some of them, some of them haven't uh, clinged on to them. Um, uh, but certainly, the disappearance of the Labour Party in those areas is is very profound. Mm. And it's from this uh, this turning of the Labour Party into something that was um, far more urban in in nature, which happened well before, well beyond this. There's an article in the Guardian today, which sort of touches upon this uh-huh. is 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 probably more probably more significant and the slowing down of, of of campaigns i mean going back to this region i talked of sherwood for example yeah. um i mean this just just gives you this sort of you know it's almost a sound like andre gunter frank with the <laughs> metropolitan and the satellite but even there you've got the main heart of that area is a place called hucknell and for ages the labor party only did things in hucknell and you see this with Wales, why the North places in North Wales went conservative, world-class areas in North Wales went conservative, and the only part of the Red War which still exists is the valleys. Uh, well, that all stems from the Welsh um, the Welsh Parliament and them doing everything. So they're certainly seen as doing everything for Cardiff and that area. And if you fall outside it, 
you're left behind. You know, this whole phrase, the post-industrial left behind, the left behind areas, what's what's happened to them? And, you know, terrible investment, underinvestment, um, and this sort of belief that if you um, if you if you graduate or if you graduate if you uh, finish school with uh, with qualifications then the thing is you get out of there as quickly as possible. So as a result, it's quite an aging community of those various communities. Quite aging if you look at them. Mm-hmm. Aging, feeling they don't have a voice, uh, feeling aging. the, poli- I mean, the, the, the political thing, class doesn't represent them. Uh, yeah, I mean the whole thing about Brexit now and party politics in Britain is that it's it's defined by demographics. It's extraordinary. Mm. You know, um the 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 things that released uh, the the demographic figures which were released by um um Ashcroft or whatever his name is that Tory Pillock um <laughs> which um basically show not a huge amount has changed from 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 last time in terms of uh this dominance really under the age of 50 mm. uh you don't start voting Tory still until you're about 51 and and then you get this huge dominance um a few things have changed some of the young have gone lib dem that was one of the point uh, some of the the older generation seemingly have gone more more Tory, but I think really what happened is um, these things occurred in crucial areas for the for the Tories to make to make gains, and they obviously improved their well. There's not so much they improved their voting percentage, but the fact that the Labour Party uh, went down. But you still have this huge. And this is gonna this is gonna really hit um, uh, you know the the future of, of, of the United Kingdom is yeah. is this distinct difference in in uh in uh, demographics let's get back to uh, that um future of the the the, the union uh question but just, in, just in, to, can i just yeah, reiterate sure. another point mm, the absolutely. problem here as far as i can see is it's not so much demographics but the problem is is that the labor message which in the urban areas is all about internationalism and it's about socialism whatever that mm-hmm, might be mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. in the towns they are not voting it's not that they're all voting tory they are not voting Period. they're being left out yeah, and that's yeah. where Corbyn, in my opinion, went wrong. He could not go into the these areas and excite anyone because uh, he flipped uh, on his position on the second referendum. I mean, you're you're, you're offering a longer term analysis here that says this has been going I, I, on for I, I, a long time. I mean, some of it had something to do with that, but I think it's a more long term. It's it's not that. It's it was. The fact, in my opinion, and again, we can talk about this. Mm. Obviously, at the end of this election, all the sort of, um, you know, those who were, you know, left Brexit, Labour, you know, Labour League, obviously they're all, all going to put it on, on Brexit. Obviously, all those Remainers are all going to put it on well, the Well, because fact- it's so symptomatic of what you're talking about. So, like, in a sense, like, you're invoking yeah, Peter Mayer. No, but it, but, but, but. The problem with that is the problem with that is um, that that is undermining what's really going on here. In my opinion, again, it's a, this thing is all based in opinion, and that is the fact that Corbyn and and, and the whole Corbyn project, yeah. the Mentor project, worked very well, and and you can call it a you know a student bubble and and, and this that and the other, but it did work. But it wasn't just that; it worked very well in multicultural urban areas. Yeah, it's. Stop then. It didn't go into the uh, the towns. Now that's not Corbyn's fault. 
No. That is the fact that they've been underdivested and, uh, and, and left. Might have something to do with the Labour Party is not really responding in those areas, as as as, as various you know activists have already said, have, have, have pointed. And they can get very irritated, but it, that's that's the main uh, that's 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 the main facet. Uh, so yeah, there was a significant amount, I presume, who, who, who shifted their position, uh, but they again were largely the older generation, and it was yeah. them. If you, if you, I mean, if you look at all these. Again, the statistics from 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 Ashcroft. Uh, there wasn't a huge amount of um, playing around from from one side to to another. I think about a quarter of Labour voters shifted, changed their votes to something else. But I think the large majority of those actually went to you know from the last election. Mm. I think the large uh, majority of those went to. Um, well, maybe not large majority, but say a large proportion went to went to the uh, the Lib Dems. Um, I've got it here somewhere. Hold on, there they, is they went to the Lib Dems, but the Lib Dems had a very poor election. Yeah, here we go. I've got it here. So uh, it's quite interesting. So, um, okay, those who were Labour Leave voters, yeah, mm. uh, who voted Labour in 2017, uh, yes. who, who, were, who believed in Leave. 64% of them still voted Labour this time. 25% of them voted, switched to the Tory party. And, yeah, only three switched to the Lib Dems. Out of those which voted Remain, mm. uh, you know, Labour Remainites, so to speak, 84 stayed with Labour, Two went Tory and nine went went Lib Dem. <laughs> uh, so you know, it, the figures there show that possibly things like voter turnout was was and, and and the fact that you know there wasn't enough campaigning in these areas and particularly the long time thing of getting younger people in to vote in these areas was possibly uh, just as um, significant. So just let's run a kind of a historical experiment here. Uh, obviously, we can't uh, travel back and, and, yeah. and know for sure. But say Labour Conference hadn't tied Corbyn's hands and put the yeah. second referendum back on the table and Labour had come yeah. into this uh, election advocating something more like soft Brexit, Nore Plus, which ironically yeah. is what, yeah. what Johnson may actually now uh, I don't come up with because I don't think he's going to go that way. I, I mean, I, if you, if you call Norway plus EEA membership, I, I I don't think he's going to go. I don't know what he's going to do, but I don't think he'll end up doing that. Okay, um, but say just but, back to the kind of factual. The um, say say we had this uh, this scenario where where Corbyn had um, yeah. stuck to his guns and mm. uh, went into the election saying he was going to honour the referendum. What do you do? You, Think there would have been a mass defection to the Lib Dems? Uh, probably the way things were going. Um, it's difficult to say because because what they had the that people... opportunity in 2017, and I know this is kind of like for yeah. listeners, this is going to sound like yeah. we're getting into the weeds here, but just be patient because I think this is like yeah. I've already seen a lot of this on Facebook this morning. And what is it? We're recording this on Sunday. It's just a few days after the election, and it's just interesting to see the sort of intellectual positions getting staked out. That a lot yeah, of people yeah, are kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a lot of centrist, center lefty types, yeah, um, yeah. identity politics types, shall we say? And I hate I know, that term. Not, I don't. I hate to. I hate to use that term. But like, yeah, it, I think people have been very deterministic in in in, in all of their, you know, yeah. sides of to to follow their 
to follow their positions, I suppose. Um, uh, but to answer your question, um, I'm not really sure because obviously 2017, they went in uh, the Labour Party with a belief, I suppose, and an acceptance to a certain degree uh, that there will be some sort of soft Brexit. But I think there was already some sort of um, uh, um, belief, certainly with a large proportion of that sort of remain locked that this wasn't possibly the end that something he left it pretty much open you know he talked about customs union and talked about other things and that was the right thing to do don't get me wrong mm. but he left it quite open uh while Theresa may was coming out well I mean, she had a disastrous campaign was coming sure. out with all sorts of funny things and yeah i mean he, he kept that pretty open um this time I mean, if you actually look at what he was doing, the only thing what he added was opening it back up to the people. I mean, it was his, um, and that's what obviously pissed off a lot of people, but it, it was his similar position. You know, the Labour Party were shut out of the negotiations. When Theresa May got in without a majority last time, you yeah. would have thought that she might have actually gone for an all-party solution here, or at least to do something. But they weren't. They were shut out of everything. They were shut out of this. There was no... Uh, negotiations with the unions or anything like that. She just went buckling off to try and uh, well to come out with her um, her uh, Brexit plan, which was obviously uh, voted down. So I mean, I think I I mean I quite liked his um, fudge, but it pissed off both sides. I mean, I quite liked it. I quite liked the idea of looking both ways, but it but it's pissed off. It pissed off both sides. In hindsight, I mean, we've discussed this before. Yeah, I think I agree. I think one of the the um, the, the positions which would have been a legitimate position to take was a sort of EEA membership of some type. I, I, I like to call it the sort of Iceland um, model rather mm -hmm. than the, the, the Norway model, but okay. something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, which I suppose is building on 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 Corbyn. These were discussed in Parliament, and um, some of them were voted through in Parliament, but they were all voted out, and they were largely voted out because of the nutcases on the uh, <laughs> on the strong right were having none of it with 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 anything. And they could have adopted some of those, and it's possible that there could have been some of the um you know the shadow cabinet to have made their feelings a lot stronger on 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 some of these and and to follow some of some of those uh, lines and obviously by the time and this is the main problem by the time in the last two and a half years by the time may put forward various solutions the whole the whole thing about no deal has has been you know has, has surrounded itself and been pummeled out and out again this idea that it doesn't matter what deal it is it, it's still it's still being half in europe constantly you know this thing which farage has been was always going to do has been pumping up and up and uh and that sort of gives the opinion that anything that labor might have come out with uh which was a bit of a you know, a middle line, a bit of a sort of, you know, some sort of, if you, you call it Norway um, uh, compromise, again, might have still been met with this stance by large sections of the media and Nigel Farage himself and the Brexit party has right. still been caving into Europe. And, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, this is going to be something which, will, which hasn't finished, which will, you, no. you would 
we'll, we'll, we'll go on and on. Um, I mean, the other thing you've got to realize about this election as well is that I mean, I was just reading my book, which finished with finished just before Boris Johnson had, had got in, and that's when it went to the publishers. And that was only it was under six months, so he's had this bounce. And that bounce has never gone away. All leaders have a bounce, and it, and, he, and that carried him through very much. So he just come in, and so many people who were interviewed during the election said, "You know, well, let's see what he can do better yeah. than the other lot," yeah. as if somehow Labour at all were were in power. Yeah. Uh, so this bounce, I think, was very important. I think if Theresa May called an election back in May, for example, as opposed to Boris Johnson, and her herself went through that. You'd be looking at a completely different result. Yeah, yeah. So would this be a good segue? Um, this might be a good segue to. I, I want to talk about some of your recent writing because I think I think it's your main, and that's that's why I wanted to ask you on today. Uh, frankly, um, I I want to take a step back in a sense from the election because I I think this is going to be an important conversation and obviously once we've all calmed down a bit uh it will be it will be a very important conversation um you had a piece just out uh this year in the journal globalizations um where you talk about and I and I don't want to put words in your mouth but the uses maybe and misuses of Gramsci uh, by the new left uh so maybe first of all what is the new left? Are, are, are we the new left? I mean, what's the parameters of that? And then, and then what is it that we're getting right and wrong about Gramsci today? Or maybe another way of putting it, because I think this is an important term to you. Uh, you, you cite Paul Mason. Um, what's wrong with this notion of common sense and the way it's getting used? It, it's, it's invoked consciously as a Gramscian concept, but I think you're saying maybe Gramsci didn't quite put as much emphasis on it as people sometimes like to think um well i don't know if i say that i, I mean the reason i mentioned paul uh, paul mason is paul mason actually started with that so it's based on an article he wrote just after the 2017 election where he actually talked about the the um the fact that corbyn was was challenging some of the common sense which was um inherent within uh, uh, contemporary forms of capitalism. And so as a result, this saw it as a, as a hegemonic uh, challenge. But what, what I picked up on that, what I was trying to do in that piece was really look at this notion of the new left as something that was looking to transcend neoliberal capitalism in a, in a specific way that, had, that, that was very much beyond this sort of 20th century socialism of, of the sort of you know, you know the sort of left nationalism, the spatial, you know, the spatial forms of um, uh, socialism uh, within nation states, so to speak, um, towards something that uh, uh, was much more transnational in 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 nature. And one of the problems with it is that this is all very well, but what is what is it actually trying to do in the in in the long run? What sort of world is it trying to create? It's it's you know, it's it's challenging problems and concerns with neoliberal civil society and the yeah. uh, uh, the legitimacy and the norms inherent within uh, within uh, free market capitalism but but what is it actually trying to do where is it going from that and I think that was mainly part that was the that was what I was trying to do in that was show well you've got Corbyn you've got um Sanders you've had other projects in um, in in um, 
short lived in Greece at various times and in Spain and 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 this is what you could sort of determine as I suppose as as a new left a new left which is which has spun up post cold war which has really spun up I suppose post crisis that is trying to get to something else but we don't actually know what it's trying to do and that was another factor of momentum it was very good in stimulating opposition and an attempt to actually organically contest some of these things but as i said you know earlier it 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 didn't a go as far and it still appeared elitist in that sense uh, or i won't say elitist but but appeal to a significant group and section in society that being the sort of urban young so to speak uh, along with along with others uh, but certainly that was a largest um uh largest uh demographic so to speak uh, uh but also we don't actually know exactly what it is trying to do what sort of future it wants how it sort of sees itself how it sees itself it seems to look to be on the the nation state and and and, and obviously lee would have a sort of thing of going back to the nation state through popular sovereignty and 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 etc but but the new left at least and that's one of the criticisms from that point of view is is that it's trying to look at something beyond that but it's it's not really doing anything it's not really um establishing anything beyond it, it, it it's still got a, an imaginary as opposed to something significantly uh uh, uh political okay so just to maybe play devil's advocate here uh, obviously i I'd love to get a momentum representative on and maybe yeah, uh, yeah. Give, give a give their position on this, but but uh, just as a kind of a armchair follower of some of this stuff. I mean, it seems that the mm-hmm. uh, manifesto in 2017, manifesto in 2019, mm-hmm. were very comprehensive. I mean, from a uh, perspective of someone, say, like trying to think about how a non-reformist reform strategy for the left, uh, would look, you know, what that would look like in the present mm-hmm. moment. Um, it's hard to think of a better kind of example policy wise. I mean, certainly if the goal is to decommodify parts of our lives, um, to take back worker control to an extent mm-hmm. to, to selectively nationalize in a way that mm-hmm. gives people a deeper sense of what it means to have goods in common, public goods. Yeah. Uh, uh, You know, there were some really beautiful ideas in there, right? And um, a lot of people uh, listen to the Irish media this morning, uh, reading various pieces in the British media over the last couple of days. You know, a lot of people are really kind of keeping score in this saying, like, what what this is, is a repudiate, what the public's done here is repudiate an ambitious left project. And and what this show, you even see Joe Biden making this point now here in America. That that yeah. that what yeah. this means is that there's no real stomach for yeah. uh, playful pie in the sky leftist ideas. We have to focus yeah. on defeating Trump. Um, so let's just get real and um, you know put these childish ideas aside and um, y- you know and, uh, and try to get back to some kind of neoliberal status quo. Uh, um, yeah. Sorry, there's a lot in that question, but I, I guess I'm just yeah. trying to sort of suggest that maybe. Maybe there was some depth to Momentum's platform, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, economically, yeah, no, 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 but but maybe maybe the yeah. maybe the thing again is just encapsulated in some of the kind of more radical ideas that were put forward um, 
in terms of um, a second referendum, because I, I would consider that radical given what Labour's position was previously, um, and maybe some positions on immigration. And it just, I think, you know, again, just not not listening to the base. Hmm. Um, no, no. I mean, I think, I think, I think you're right. Um, you know, as I, I mean, this was, I, I was very sympathetic actually to to momentum in in the globalisation piece. I, you know, used a criticism at the end in in terms of strategy, but I was generally uh, um, uh, quite complete, well, quite complimentary. Um, the manifesto, and actually, I prefer the, I actually prefer the manifesto in 2017. It was more open. Uh, but it came out with ideas which suggested some sort of, um, you know, transnational outlook at least. Uh, yeah. So this idea of a people's bank and 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 people's quants, etc. I think with this manifesto, some of the ideas around nationalisation um, were sort seemed to be a little bit plonked in. So there was a lot of discussion last time about public ownership and how yeah. public ownership would be forged. Um, well, this time it just said nationalisation without really looking at what would actually happen to all the international shareholders and how that would man man uh, manifest itself, as opposed to the other one where they were looking at honing in some of these uh, shareholders and putting workers' rights within them, which was quite which was quite ambitious. And that was certainly something which uh, you know something which looked, uh, if you like, beyond the. Uh, uh, beyond the old sort of statist uh, approach, yeah. uh, and here I think they just sort of chucked it in. We'll renationalise without explaining actually. But that, what it you know, if, if if James Meadway was on the line with us right now, he'd be saying, "Yeah, but we also had a really ambitious worker buyback program. You know, where where worker ownership. Um, you know, because one of the big criticisms, yeah. I think, one of the I huge, mean, one of the big criticisms. Of, I mean, that was the other thing, wasn't it? There was too much. Yeah, there's the other thing which which, which appeared that was. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the, the whole sort of thing about workers' protection, workers. Uh, but but McDonald had a lot of people working on this, mm. uh, and a lot of people looking at um, you know public ownership, what public ownership means in in the sort of era of globalization, all this sort of facet, how this, yeah, you know. And and this is why, obviously, I mean, the, one of the factors which you come back to is so important about the Corbyn election and this election is just how much interest the last two elections in Britain has has, has been to the to the international left. They've seen it as almost a benchmark. Uh, with you know, if they do well, then we can forge something. If they don't, then we're back to square one. And and, and this, you know, has had so much. Uh, international uh, interest. So I think there was all those sort of ideas which were all being discussed, but I felt a little bit that they were opening themselves up to um, attack just by plonking in, you know, uh, uh, nationalisation. Because what that does is it then it brings out all the heavy armaments of capital to come in and say, uh, you know, you're just going back to uh, the theft of the 1960s and 1970s. Well, before they're sort of saying, no, we're looking beyond this towards public ownership and towards a more equitable uh, system. That's just my own uh, personal feeling. I, I thought some of that could have been developed. Then there was a case, I suppose, that if you look at the difference in manifesto between 2000, the, the 17 one and, and the 19 one, uh, you can say that the 19 one was too ambitious, particularly in line of of, of Brexit, and the 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 18 one was as a, was a bit more open. It was very positive as opposed to uh, 
I mean, I mean, they're both radical. I mean, they're both fine. You know, they're both interesting in their own right. Don't get me wrong. But um, I'm just thinking of what the various critics have, 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 have chucked them. And certainly towards the end when they were, you know, talking yeah. about waspy women and, um, you know, the compensation. They, it did seem like they were just chucking any old thing at it. Yeah, and that's how it certainly came across. Um, Americans won't know who the waspy women are. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Waspy women, yeah. Um, women chased by wasps. No. Um, <laughs> well, um, it's it's basically the um, when they push the um, retirement age up. Right. For women from 60 uh, up to uh, 65. Um, so those people who retired at 60 or at 61, um, et cetera, um, during this transition period, lost the money uh, and lost their various uh, uh, pensionable savings, et cetera, uh, and ended up, you know, obviously being uh, quite hard up as a result, and they got no compensation uh, to that. So obviously the Labour Party moved in. There's been a big campaign. And it was also an attempt to, for the Labour Party to try and get votes from the uh, from from, a, from obviously a demographic which they do very badly yeah, uh, yeah. To, to, to come back to right. um, but I mean that's that I suppose that would be certainly one of the one of the criticisms well I suppose last time business in particular find it uh, you know the 2017 um, yeah. manifesto is just as radical in its own right uh, I find it, but it was more open in, in that sense it wasn't as detailed it, had, it, it didn't have as many facets um or they couldn't chuck as many things at it uh because it was far, to me it was far more sort of um you know it was trying to imagine um a, a, a new world while this one was sort of um harping back a little bit uh and and it was a little bit uneven in in the way it was and the way it was forced. But, I mean, that could just be because uh, a number of things were agreed upon at, at the uh, sort of conference level during, you know, the writing of the manifesto. So. I mean, the green stuff was interesting. Don't get me wrong. But oh, that was very progressive, very progressive, which, again, business couldn't really attack, which is another thing. So I want to talk about your book in a minute because uh, I know that's right. exciting and you've put a lot of time into that. But um, just just go, just 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 go back to manifesto. I mean, that was it. I mean, one of the points I think was made today, and and this surrounds common sense, so to speak. So if if Mason was talking about the common sense and neoliberalism and and, and this sort of thing, well, one of the things that you're implicit about the the, the last manifesto is that the need for investment and the need for investment at, at the uh, you know at, at, at the state level and, and at the level through public taxes uh, from 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 bottom up uh, processes well well this time I think that, that it was almost assumed that that argument was won and I think they needed to go back to that and explain why it was impossible to why while it why it was necessary to invest uh and raise taxes to uh, those at a certain level uh, and why this wasn't necessarily damaging of the of, of the economy you know it's yeah. this sort of you know solution of, of of rather than taking out of the economy that obviously putting putting back into the economy gets you out of trouble and increases productivity and i think that point possibly should have been that made a little bit more in the manifesto. Having said that, I mean, let's face it, um, no one actually reads manifestos, um, apart from us. 
and um, you know um, the, the 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 tabloid media campaign, which was vicious in 2017, but I think went over the top. And well, this time it's had another two years of building, you know, stuff on from from on Corbyn and his and and the Corbyn team that uh, they managed to. Um, <coughs> Chip away at him, really, in the last uh, Sunday since the last election, and they were always going to, you know, depict this as a, as a, you know, in, in a highly negative light. Okay, so I want to give you a chance to 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 uh, to, to drill down a little bit on this article from earlier this year in Globalizations. Uh, you you make a point that while the new left has sort of been converging around various strategies and tactics. You can call this a kind of a, mer- a merger, if you will, of a kind of an anarchist tendency and maybe a more traditional parliamentary socialist strategy. Uh, I don't yeah. want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like you're saying that at the horizontal or civil level, Occupy, for example, we, you know, we've made inroads. Um, at the political level, you can see people like yeah. Sanders, Corbyn, Syriza, Podemos making inroads. You're saying in some ways, though, that there's yet to be a real um you use the term war of position um mm. to to take on neoliberal capitalism itself so mm. i wanted to just talk us through that like what would it look like well i'll tell you what it'd look like i yeah. mean this is going back to what i said <laughs> said earlier this would look like um parties such as the labor party complementing uh uh, momentum by going into areas which they've been they've been for so long uh, and towns and um, working with the community and doing community work. They used to be you know and, and resetting up labour clubs and and working alongside food banks and actually doing the work in civil society which they used to do uh, as as opposition uh, to the conservative party. And I think that's important. And by doing that. Uh, they you know, regenerate those areas, and they also bring in education programs. You know, get lecturers off their ass from their little bubble, and actually to go in and speak to real people and um, dissect views and to discuss, uh, you know, how society can be rebuilt. And and that I think um, becomes a successful war of position. I mean, you know, look at Gramsci's. Point of, of of this whole notion of war position, he, he t- takes a lot into things like f- culture and folklore and various, and obviously education, and the importance of the organic intellectual. Well, I think you know that's is that's what's required in across society, really. To get so it's still it's old. still a, it sounds like it's still kind of an intellectual project for you, as opposed to yeah, maybe to degree, what, yeah, what someone is. like I, yeah, I, I I'm I'm kind of um, I don't mean to to represent. Sort of a voice here that I'm not necessarily qualified to represent, but I mean, if I were to do my best, Leo Panitch here for a minute, like I, I mean, he would even sort of argue that um, part of what is missing here is a, an expansive notion of the party that literally can almost sort of step in in a in a in a, in a way we that parties used to do as a matter of normalcy, but but. To, to create a kind of almost like parallel state, almost. Yeah, I mean, um, absolutely. I mean, I mean, here it's the death of industrialization, and it's yeah. it's the growth of the. Oh, you all know about you know the the, the growth of the the flexible worker, zero hours contracts, yeah. yeah. uh, temporary worker. The fact that there's no job for life, you can't build anything, and this is the uh, 
this is the fact but there's still a lot of community work and there's a lot of community groups and there's a lot of everything else well this should be political it, it, you know it occurs everyday yeah. life at, a, at the level of everyday life it's trying to address um uh in in inadequacies inequalities which have been which have occurred because of capitalism therefore those communities should be political and there should be there should be representatives of of, of of a bigger project who want to work at the social and at the political level. I think that's what's missing. Yeah. Right. So you're, you've got a busy week ahead. You're going to be launching yeah. your book in yeah. London. Um, we have a, pro, a majority American listenership here, although we have listeners almost everywhere, really. Um, definitely some Irish listeners, too. Um What's this book about? It's not quite the focus of our conversation today so far, but you are, you are, it does have a bearing, right? I mean, you're talking about the emergence of the new ride. Yeah. Um, well, it's obviously his it's, it's name been Morbid Symptoms. So it's called Morbid Symptoms, the global um, rise of the far right. Uh, so it obviously, it, it really picks up from uh, looking at the, uh, the post Cold War neoliberal order, so to speak. And, um, it, it addresses and it looks at the um, the post crisis in particular moves towards different types of far right populism uh, and different forms of far right opposition towards that that specific era and and it actually starts off by by quoting the famous passage that Gramsci uses about the you know the the dying, the old. Sorry, the dying of the old, and 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 the, the new not being uh, yet to to appear, yet to be born. Uh, but it but it looks at this, um, uh, I suppose, uh, more crucially at whether this is these sort of um, embodiments of of, of of nationalist far right politics are actually contributing to lay the seeds of neoliberal destructions at least laid the seeds of destruction within the sort of neoliberal system or whether or not they actually complement it and i suppose the conclusion at the end is 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 um a little bit of fence sitting but it's it, it, it's really something which to say is that this is this demonstrates the huge contradiction of the neoliberal order and this sort of sets in seeds of its destruction as the same way as Carl Polanyi observed the, the seeds setting in in the uh, the 1890s and the early 1900s, uh, but the death of, of of neoliberalism isn't actually there. It's just co- it's contradictions and it's uh, mm-hmm. um, it's it's uh, discontents are growing and growing, particularly under the sort of nationalist banner. So that's what it really does. And I'm just flicking through it now. So it starts off with um, looking at the emergence of the sort of the far right from, I suppose, from before, initially before uh, the end of the Cold War and then through to the, um, the, the end of the Cold War, as through to the 1990s, um, the, uh, the emergence, obviously, is Islamophobia after 9-1-1. And then it looks at the sort of post-crisis um, emergence of far right radical parties. And so it then looks particularly at Europe, the various radical right parts in Europe, and it looks at their economic strategy and how they differ between a sort of protectionist position through to a a hyper neoliberal 
position, how the contradictions uh, are inherent within these different positions. And then it looks at the US and, and, and the UK before it actually looks at the sort of consolidation and the, the mainstreaming of, of some of these far-right narratives which we see in, I suppose, in the US and, and in the British, recently in the British Conservative Party. And then right at the end, it, it, it brings in some of the ways or some of the problems the left has in trying to counter some of this. Can you talk so a little bit about yeah. that. You talk a little bit about the, the, the challenges that the left, because this is contentious here in the United States. I mean, sometimes I, I think I'm, I'm sort of, I'm on the record on this. I, I, I don't hide it. I, I do sometimes feel like, um, in a sense, the threat of the far right is exaggerated here. Um, I, I are maybe not exaggerated so much as, um, just misdiagnosed and, uh, it seems that a lot of people, uh, you know, um, make oversimplifications about its racial content, um, oversimplifications about, um, where it's come from. You know, you get in trouble sometimes when you invoke notions like economic anxiety, um, as a, as a motivating factor, um, you know, I, I think a lot about people like Angela Nagel here who, you know, however much criticism she's received for this, I think some of it unfairly, uh, I think she's on the money when she sort of argues that um, much as with Brexit, uh, in my book, and you don't have to agree with me on this, but um, much as with Brexit, I think a lot of the American far right comes out of internet, online spaces, uh, uh and is kind of a, a kind of a countercultural movement more than anything. You know, it's, it's use of irony, it's use of memes. It's, it's, um, I think if you filter out that sort of stuff, which is kind of surface level trolling, really, um, I think, I think you don't have a, all that much institutional. Now, it's different in Europe, of course, but, you know, for this book, you traveled a lot, I think, uh, if I remember, and you did a lot of interviews with people. So, you know, I, I'm kind of really glad to have you on because, you know, if anyone's going to correct me on this, it's going to be you, you know, like you've actually talked to some of these people. So, you know, what's your take? Um, yeah, I mean, I was talking to someone of this to, um, the other day who was bringing me up from, as I say, the United Arab Emirates, who, who was also talking about the sort of online the online stuff. Um, mm. I mean, there is a lot of um, alt-writing um, material on 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 the internet, which I don't think has a vast amount of difference. But I think what all that yeah. has done is it has served to um, contest norms. And I think what I do in this, well, it's not what I think, but what I try to do in this uh, is particularly when I'm looking at the U.S., if you're interested in the U.S., mm. in the U.S., is that I look at, and I was based in um, that uh, anti-progressive uh, uh, conservatism Berkeley. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> it's a great uh, place who, to go if you want to talk directly to yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, which has got a a a, a, a right wing centre, um, but obviously from there I was then talking to various people, um, and 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 there's a number of very good um, 
uh, archives actually there, uh, which which traces uh, particularly not just in Berkeley but also in the uh, you know the Hoover Center, Hoover Institute in um, uh, what's that place in um, place in um, the other side of the bridge. Uh, uh, what's it? The Hoover Institute is in Stanford. Yes, Stanford. Sorry, apologise. No. no, the name. No worries. Know. We can we can tidy it up in the editing. <laughs> yeah, Not a uh, so yeah, at, at Stanford, uh, where there's another, uh, there's a whole collection of archives on on the American far right. And what I try and look at this is is again the the emergence of conspiracy based arguments that inherit within the far right and how these have developed and how these are sort of merged from there and were implicit within the within the, the Cold War. In fact, Rick Saul does a lot of this in some of his work yeah. uh, where he looks how this was always a factor and this, this sort of far right element was always there and it became a useful factor yeah. uh, within um, the American attack on, on Russia at the time. But then at the end of the... Uh, the end of the Cold War, it, this stuff and some of these ideas started to um, to go overground and started acting as opposition, particularly to Bush and and Clinton. Uh, so obviously, things like the American Patriot Movement that was that was was huge in the 1990s. This sort of anti-globalist, uh, um, new world order-based conspiracy theory. You know, groups like the John, well, John Birch Society already existed. Liberty right. Lobby, various other things. The Christian Coalition, Pat Robertson's uh, New World Order. Um, I mean, all these. Lyndon Larouche. Yeah, Linda Lewis, all these were absolutely, yeah, good God, yeah, God <laughs> um, all these were basically, you know, trying to come out with some sort of, you know, palo conservative critique, if you like, of 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 of, of what they understood as, as 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 the new world order, and then we sort of move on from that. Uh, through to uh, before we get on to the alt right, really, through to the Tea Party, which became this sort of peculiar, as you know, peculiar mix of um, of, of the, the collective of, 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 of sort of near, you know libertarian free marketeers uh, yeah. who certainly economically believe that um, the the fact that the, uh, the financial crisis occurred because there was uh, too much regulation and too much state intervention and and. <clears throat> And, and, and various other things. And the, the sort of peculiar and um, almost, um, well, completely contradictory um, fusion of the two uh, provided another platform and another development for certainly right-wing ideas uh, and certainly ideas which at least propose some sort of opposition to 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 the uh, the liberal positions and the liberal position of of, of, of Obama, which which was sort of tied into uh, you know uh, neoliberal norms. So you had all of these, and then uh, at the start or just before um, Trump, you obviously had you know the the alt right, the more extreme variety of of, of, of bodies suddenly becoming. Um, 
interested and suddenly becoming um, attracted, so to speak, to um, to the Trump um, administration. And with Trump, uh, as you know, you've seen the whole bizarre collection of, 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 of contradictory elements from him yeah. attacking. But you saw that within the Tea Party from attacking so-called globalism from a position of protectionism, but at the same time attacking any form of uh, state interference in the economy as being communistic. Uh, so completely contradicted himself in two, two different opposing traditions. And um, this has very much been a facet. And I suppose I'm trying to argue in a sort of, um, you know, going back to going back to Polanyi's sort of uh, understanding of, of of the crisis of of, of uh, liberal capitalism in in the nineteenth and twentieth century. These contradictions were rife then. It was the you know it's the so called double movement. Uh, the you know the the, the 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 state and regulatory bodies uh, caving in, so to speak, and um, making trying to make sense of the the crises that had been brought by, by free market e e economics and coming out with completely contradictory uh, solutions, which had made it less, which had made it even more unstable. Um, given your work here um, yeah. and also given the results of this election to bring us back to Brexit, um, I, think it, I think it really is an important question now, what is the conversation we're going to have to be having on the left? Uh, is there a way in which um, these various right-wing movements have just actually played a blinder, to borrow a British phrasing, uh, here and, and just really um, position themselves as the kind of inheritors of the will of the political moment? Um, you know, to, to what extent is this their time um, can a figure like Bernie Sanders, um, mm. you know, come through or, or, or has this defeat, this, this British election kind of just taken the, the sheen off it altogether and shown that basically that the, the left has completely lost the faith of the working class and, you know, it's going to have to go back to the drawing board. This is going to be maybe like a, a 40, 50 year project to, to, to reconnect, to to reestablish, you know, any kind of semblance of a left wing agenda. Yeah, I think first and foremost, the answer to that is is in as I say, the last chapter, I suppose, of this book, which is is the the sort of chapter on mainstreaming. So you've had radical right in Europe. Um, some of them have got into government, but have been pretty directionless. Yeah, uh, some of them <clears throat> haven't. Uh, but I think the U.S., the, the U.K. and the U.S. Um, um, examples there are quite interesting, and, and also you know going outside uh, the um, American Euro-American uh, area and to other parts of the world, particularly India and Modi, and uh, I would say particularly uh, Modi, but but you, know, you can see it in Brazil with Bolsonaro, but. Um, and, and various other parts. Putin, to a, to a lesser degree, it's a different different thing. Uh, but certainly, you've seen this mainstream. So they've taken these right wing critiques and these right wing movements, these quite right wing crit criticisms. Uh, both of them, both the British and the American cases here, have done. They've embodied the language. You know, Boris Johnson, this so called meeting with him and and, and Bannon, Steve Bannon, the, the being best buddies to discuss strategy. Uh, the various sort of bonds somehow between the bad boys of Brexit, people like Aaron Banks, who was uh, 
seen to be on the more extreme side and is bonding all of a sudden with uh, him and uh, Cummins uh, to again mainstream this uh, some this 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 populism towards um, towards something else and and towards something which is uh, you know on on the one level uh, tries to maintain uh, neoliberalism but on 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 the other level articulates and 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 um, um, certainly runs with a lot of the populism which is inherent within within some of these far rights concerns and more worrying for you know in um, uh, minority groups in in body in the language in body in the sort of uh, racial mm. uh, form and I think both he's done that and also uh, Trump has done that possibly in a less organized way he's appeared far more disorganized in in this factor and I suppose for the for the left uh, it's very much the way of where you position yourself so I can understand now in the US there being a lot of yeah, a lot of move, and and to a certain degree, it was the same over Brexit here, and that's when the, your Brexit analogy is quite quite an interesting one. Again, I wouldn't even necessarily say, but they used Brexit, the sort of Blairite position, the you know the the the, the Lib Dem, the centrist position, um, we, as as if to say, well, we can't build anything new here. We've just got to defeat this guy and pull it back to where we were post crisis, and that obviously will smooth out a much more sort of. Um, you know, that's I suppose in 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 the long durée, so to speak, will 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 would certainly show the the rebirth, if you like, of of, of the neoliberal project uh, yeah. and smoothing out the survival of the neoliberal project, uh, becoming a lot more su- sustainable. Uh, certainly, that's their idea. Um, so, in in I I I mean, I I don't really know. I'm not really qualified to actually. Um, give any predictions over what's actually going to happen with the democratic uh, nomination but uh, i mean I, I i also don't know what the likelihood would be if if, right. if 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 sanders got in how far he would um he would uh, um potentially succeed i i'm i'm i'm, I'm not sure uh what do you think I, I, uh, I'm going to hear, uh, echo but the I, words I, I think of, that, uh, sorry, just go, yeah. Yeah, go on, you say that. Well, you no, asked, you say. Uh, no I, have, I have a friend, um, Adam Proctor, who runs a really, really good podcast, uh, which I would encourage anyone listening to this to, to listen to and subscribe to called Dead Pundit Society. And he, the other day, just made this very interesting remark where he's like, you know, the, the left is peaking right now, possibly 10 to 20 years before it's ready you know like we don't have yeah, a fully yeah. baked cake no, no, I agree and i yeah. yeah you do huh okay yeah so that i i think that, that i think there's something maybe to I that think, as much as i hate i mean i'm not like i mean does that mean not fight does that mean like but i will i mean in terms of what i've just said to give you a definite example i think it's very dangerous and and this this will alarm I don't think you'll get many Blairites or anything like that, or, or, or Clintonites listen to this. Uh, uh, but no, this will we don't get too many of them. <laughs> you, you might get quite a few. Uh, I've got a lot of friends who are obviously very much centrist. Uh, yeah. and this would uh, this would alarm them. But what I would say is, across the world, centrism is doing very badly. The French, obviously, Socialist Party has disappeared. Yeah, it's gone uh the yeah. uh, in, in in germany they're looking now uh, at more uh left-wing solutions and yeah it is a building stage it's a building strategy um so 
the argument in the US that we have to reject uh, the radical, which obviously you can understand them saying, but I, I can't really see how that's going to help them win the next election, personally. I have a friend of mine who completely disagrees with me. He was texting me all the way through the election until yeah. five morning uh, uh, <laughs> the other day. But, uh, uh, but you know, centrist projects are, are pretty much at the moment... Uh, dead in the water and that was shown again at the last election in 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 the uk in 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 this election in the uk where you had pretty much uh, a, a very populous set of individuals uh, from the right um embarking on a pretty non-entity of a, a of a manifesto uh, apart from saying how uh, you know how great britain is uh, make britain great again etc mm -hmm. uh, and a and a very detailed uh, left-wing manifesto the centrists in the middle and also this is the smp which is also very radical on the other side uh, and then in the middle of this the lib dems not getting anywhere and they had a dreadful campaign and again, the centrism there just didn't pick up. In fact, the Lib Dems, if it wasn't for um, tactical voting, uh, yeah. certain parts where the Labour, uh, you know, voters were told vote tactically for these Lib Dem characters, and they would have done even worse. Yeah, this is summed up really nicely. Sorry, by the Ashcroft um, statistical um, uh, thing on 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 the election, where he shows that overwhelmingly the um, the tactical voting generally went on for Labour supporters who went to the Lib Dems to try and get someone out. Uh, yeah, so um, that's... Um, yeah, that's uh, that 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 again shows that you know centrist parties. Are, so, um, so that kept the lib to the extent trouble. that the Lib Dems managed to hold on by their fingernails. But um, they improved. Yeah, they improved their percentage, and they did take some votes from the Labour Party. But a lot of those, and and they did take some significant votes from the Labour Party, and that's obviously all the sort of. Um, the, the Remainist arguments were that, well, you know, Labour lost some votes to the Liberal Democrats Party, but also uh, they lost some of those seats, uh, sorry, some of those votes, didn't lose any seats to them, some of those votes because um, they were voting, those votes were tactical. Yeah, yeah. Here we That's go, I've got true. the statistic here. So if you look at the tactical thing of I voted to try and stop a party I l liked least from winning – then only 17% of Tories voted Tory to stop the other party. They presumably a lot of those came from the Brexit party. 31% of Labour and 43% of the Lib Dems got Lib Dem voted for the Lib Dems. That's nearly half, obviously, uh, because they wanted to stop the Tories. Wow. Hey, can you? Uh, if you have a link to that, um, I'll put it in the show yeah. notes so that listeners can. Um yeah, check course, that yeah. data for themselves. That would be great. Um, so I, I guess we've had you on for over an hour now, Owen, and you've got yeah. the rest of your day to get on with here. Um, maybe any final words just on something I actually, uh, is it a hackneyed question to, to, to ask for your views at this point on um, what the United Kingdom looks like uh, 15, 20 years from now? <laughs> Oh, God. 
Oh dear, I have no idea. I honestly, Scotland, I, I, Wales, I, I, Northern Ireland. I mean, the Scotland thing's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think a lot of people would say, uh, you I know, United Ireland, Scotland disappearing, but it wouldn't surprise me if mm. if um, Boris Johnson comes out with a whole collection of draconian things against uh, Scotland, reminiscent of you know Ireland in the late nineteenth uh, century. Uh, I don't think they'll give him a second referendum. Um, whether the Labour, whether the next, the next um, Parliament gives him something, I, I don't know. But I certainly don't think he's going to give him a, another referendum. I think he's going to look to hold the United Kingdom uh, together through a lot of coercion. Um, and I do think what you're going to see, unless the Labour Party, and if the Labour, it depends how the Labour Party go, and we, it'd be interesting to see how they do go, but if they go back into some of these regions and also, I think, devolve a little bit, so Welsh and Scottish Labour do various things and possibly create coalitions with, with, with Plaid in Wales and and um, the, the SNP in, in, in Scotland, you might see a lot of sort of um, um, an increase uh, of uh, of groups, uh, of certainly of the appeal of of sort of anti Westminster groups, uh, yeah. certainly go on. What's what's obviously going to happen is that um, Boris Johnson, who's pretty much bullshitted his way through this campaign, um, is is going to continue bullshitting, um, and there is absolutely, I mean, society itself is going to be a lot a lot worse off. I don't know about Brexit. I think it's 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 obvious that Britain is going to leave the European Union um, when it gets to a stage on the debate about reforming. I don't or rejoining. I don't know whether it comes to as you say things are still open here. If it you know comes out with a very bare bones trade deal, which Boris Johnson wants, um, but then potentially signs up to something ridiculous in the US and ends up joining some new reformed version of NAFTA, which will just about irritate everyone. Mm. Uh, you know, Brexit will happen, but it's certainly not going to change which the, the debate of where Britain or, or the United Kingdom where will position itself in terms of economic regionalism, which region it will will, will go towards. It's this this myth that you know, several of the um, older generation might have, and Boris Johnson and certainly members of the the ERG will have that Britain is going to create some great trading uh, body with 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 old empire countries of of, of the sort written by um, written about by um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, at Cambridge um, is is complete nonsense. I mean, that's not going to come about. Uh, so you know, Britain is going to, well, the United Kingdom certainly will go into uh, a lot of um, uh, you know an era of um, economic decline. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, but uh, what happens to you know what happens to the sort of the the um, the narratives that the project that Corbyn's built up will be interesting. It, it will depend upon who the next leader will be, yeah. um, and what will happen necessarily to Scotland and, and and potentially, as I say, you see this in Wales. There's certainly there's been a lot of support recently in Wales for this idea of. Um, Welsh independence, uh, largely from Labour voters. So they're not actually going out to vote for Plaid. Plaid did well in this election, yeah. but it, 
it only took one more seat. Uh, but um, there is certainly this belief that Westminster just isn't doing it for us or mm. goes somewhere else. Um, and the Welsh Labour Party may move. It might be the Welsh Labour Party as opposed to the plight that pushes for a, for separation. But this is these are gonna these are gonna come more and more. And and as uh, as as the uh, period of government of, yeah. of, of Boris goes on with these clones that he's got in government. I mean, you know, he's got yeah. a majority of eighty. Uh, the Conservative Party is completely narrowed. They're all just mimicking everything he says. That the old days of the Conservative Party as a broad church is all gone. Mm-hmm. It's just the nutcase clones just hovering around as as as, as useful idiots. So yeah, it can it can only it will only begin to fall apart more and more. Should we say? Uh, yeah. but, well, I mean, not to sound like an accelerationist, but I mean, when Trump got elected here, people were very yeah. upset, obviously. But yeah. in some ways, it's been the best thing for the American left in decades. And yeah, yeah. Um, it's just possible uh, that, you know, you could, you could, there's, some, there's some unexpected developments ahead. Uh, I think the problem with that is Trump beat Clinton. The problem here is they beat um yeah. Johnson beat Corbyn. Yeah. So there's going to yeah. be a massive push that the Corbyn project should yeah. be completely eradicated. I mean, you should read the press. Yeah. Just look online, the British press today, which are constantly talking about this cult called momentum and various other factors. Uh, and, you know, all sorts of characters from the Blair era have suddenly appeared from out of nowhere. It hasn't been seen for, fear for 15, 20 years. It's yeah. suddenly uh, come in to uh, queue up to attack and... Right. Um, and of course, uh, the Guardian will give them all the platform they desire. Guardian will give them both platforms. Uh, in fairness, uh, uh, they will, yeah, they will provide enough, yeah, enough, uh, you know, airtime for both of them. So that's right. one. Right. All right, on to be played out with that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Hey. Thanks very much, man. I'll. I'll uh, thanks very much. Uh, good luck with your book launch and. We will post a link to that in the show notes so listeners can check that out. Um, Hopefully we'll chat to you again next year and uh, you can give us some... Next (laughs) election. Every time after a UK election. Well, I don't think think there'll be one in a year, but you never know. There might be some sort of uh, separatist anti-Johnson party. Uh, (laughs) Because it it will be, I mean, that's on another note, it will be very interesting when he fudges over... Uh, this idea of getting a deal through in a yeah. year, yeah. and it will inevitable. Yeah, happens. I think I think that's inevitable. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. All yeah. right, mate. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Cheers. Um. Bye bye. Bye bye. See you later.